Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, this week's episode comes to you almost by accident. Yep. Last week's episode, uh, I texted Craig, and uh, it was my turn to choose, and I said, I want to do brain damage. I gave him a link to the movie, everything I could possibly do, except sit in the same room and push play in front of him. And... uh, (laughs) It turns out when we got on to record, you know, it's, it's okay. It happens to all of us. He misheard what I had said on email or whatever, and he ended up watching Brain Dead. Now, this is not Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, which we've already done, which by which in the U.S. goes by the title Dead Alive, mm-hmm. which is an awesome movie, and you should totally go and listen to our episode on mm-hmm. it. I freaking love that movie. But no, this was um, a 1990 film called Brain Dead starring Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman. So random. Yeah, it's so random. But you know, the funny thing about it is, is I was super excited. So Craig went and watched last week's and then we came back to Brain Dead. We said, well, since you've already seen it, you've taken notes on it, I'll watch it too. But I was excited because it was on my list. It had been on my list. And so I was like, good, at least now we have an excuse to, to knock another one off. So uh, I was really happy to watch it anyway, because I had never seen it before, but it keeps popping up in my purview for some reason. And I've just been utterly fascinated by the fact that it stars Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman. And I'm pretty sure that when Bill Paxton died, this was one of the movies we almost did. Probably. Ended up doing, uh, was it Near Dark? or No, no, it was, um, well, I don't know. I, I, we did, we've we did done a Frailty. Movies. Yeah, we've done we a couple. We did Frailty, mm-hmm. we did Near Dark. Uh, I don't remember what we did when he died. But anyway, at least I was definitely considering this movie when we died. Because it's a Corman-produced production. And by Corman, I think most of our longtime listeners uh, and people who are well-versed in the horror community and are just into the same things we are, they know Roger Corman inside and out, the infamous director of, I don't know, we call them B-pictures. He says he never made a B-picture. You know, technically that's true. But, you know, low-budget features gave tons and tons of now big-name people uh, their first break in Hollywood. Never made a movie that didn't make money and is still going strong producing mm-hmm. films. His wife, Julie Corman, who I believe he married in 1970, ended up going also producing movies for his company. And in fact, I think started her own company. But in uh, 1980, uh, 1990-ish, she had sent a bunch of interns into their vaults to go through a whole bunch of old scripts and figure out, is there anything here we can use or we can update or whatever and we can produce? And someone found this script from a guy named Charles Beaumont. I feel like I'm going to go on a, a long rant here uh, because there's no, so many... No, I want to in- know. Well, there's so many interesting people behind the scenes of this movie that I just feel like we have to call it out. Charles Beaumont, uh, very, very prolific writer of the 50s and 60s who has a very interesting story. This guy ended up writing quite a few classic Twilight Zone episodes, wrote a lot of speculative fiction, sci-fi. You know, he's a peer of like Ray Bradbury and and Robert Block and Harlan Ellison and was widely respected and admired by those people. Wrote a ton of scripts for television and Hollywood, many of which weren't produced, but he was he was constantly writing. He had wild, crazy ideas. In 1954... Playboy magazine selected his story, Black Country, to be the first work of short fiction to appear in Playboy magazine. 
huh. which is kind of incredible. I I don't know for people today, like who even knows like what what play Playboy magazine isn't even out, and most people when they think about Playboy, they're like, oh yeah, this girly men's magazine that had lots of boobies and nude pictures, which is true. But it yeah. was also a very respectable magazine to get true. your fiction published in. Yeah, I mean, it, there's you're no slouch. I Stephen King got his start in Playboy yeah. magazine, so his short story was the first to be published in Playboy magazine. Yeah, that's impressive. It's really impressive. So, I mean, the the pedigree is great. And sadly, sadly, in his mid-30s, he developed this sort of mysterious brain condition. He, he was known as a heavy drinker, but all of his peers said, no, look, it's it's not the drinking that's caused this. This is, this is beyond that. Uh, and the doctors couldn't figure out what it was, but it was almost an sort of an Alzheimer's type thing, but just where he became almost non-functional. And so he would, he had tons of writing assignments and he'd go into meetings with producers and things and and he just couldn't hold his own. You know, he'd be practically incoherent by the end of it. And so it, it was just a very, very sad decline. And he ended up dying when he was 38. Oh, geez. I know, just a beautiful mind cut short by disease and uh, really, really sad. But even still, by the age of 38, left an incredible body of work. Really interesting stuff. Um, you should go back and read some of it. Honestly, I'm going to. But anyway, he died in 1967, well before this movie was produced in, uh, in 1990. But he had written a script for Roger Corman way back in the 60s, and they dug it up. And a guy named Adam Simon, who directed this, uh, decided to take it on. And he updated it for the modern era. But uh, boy, it's an interesting uh, concept and an interesting movie. While we're talking history of the film, I might as well talk a little bit about Adam Simon. Adam Simon, uh, this was one of his first films. He re- he directed some films for Roger Corman. Um, the later one that he did, just a couple years after this, I think it was in 1993, was Carnosaur. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I remember seeing it on the shelves, but I, I like this movie, saw it on the shelves, but never never watched it. I, I feel like you're one of the few. I think Car- Carnosaur, like everybody rented <laughs> in 1993. It was definitely on the shelves. It was it was obviously kind of on the heels of Jurassic Park, uh, so much right. like Roger Corman liked to do. You know, it was kind of a, I don't want to say knockoff because that's not fair, but, you know, he released a killer dinosaur movie yeah. and Jurassic Park was popular and, and it, it did it did gangbusters for them. So uh, Carnosaur is pr- quite notorious. I saw it once. I remember it as being very entertaining. Um, and so, yeah. And and uh, if you've seen the Robert Altman movie, The Player, Mm-mm. which stars, um, oh, what's his name? Robbins. Uh, Tim- Timothy Robbins. God, I love that movie. And there's an opening sequence in that movie, which is pretty famous in its own right. That's one of those like really, really long shots. And it takes you through like a Hollywood studio while people are pitching things. And there's just kind of all kinds of chaos going on, as is often in Robert Altman movies. He, he has a little bit of a star turn in that. He is the producer who's pitching a, a story to uh, the studio heads there and then gets kicked out of the studio. It's kind of The fun. director of this movie is in it? Yeah, or the director yeah. of this movie, yeah, Adam Simon. Gotcha. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. So yeah, so Adam Simon uh, took this on, and then here we get Bull Pullman and Bill Paxton. This is a post-After uh, Dark, post-Aliens Bill Paxton, I think shortly before he went on to do Twister and stuff. He was already, I think, a pretty well-established star by this point. This is a pre-Independence Day Bill Pullman. Yeah. I think it was, what, 93 or so, 94 maybe, that Independence Day came out. So these two guys in this movie alone will turn your head, right? Yeah. In retrospect, at least. And so, yeah, it was shot on a quite a low budget of, of $1.5 million. 
And here we have Brain Dead, and I have talked too much. Have you seen this movie before? <laughs> Craig? No, no, I've never seen it. But I, I really did feel bad when we sat down to record for Brain Damage, and I had to be like, uh, I watched the wrong movie. But it had never occurred to me that I might be watching the wrong movie, because this so seemed like something that you would pick. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, this is, obviously, Todd would pick this movie. I didn't have any history with it. I did see it on the shelves. I remember the box art because it was just <laughs> like a disembodied, stretched out face. Yeah, it's intriguing. <laughs> Which is in like the first five <laughs> minutes of the movie and really has nothing to do with the rest of it. <laughs> it's the best shot they could come up with. I, I know. You th- <laughs> like you think it's going to be a movie about this, you know, di- <laughs> this face. <laughs> like that's the that's the monster. Uh, it remind. I'm not even a Doctor Who fan, but there's like a Doctor Who villain that's you know had so much cosmetic surgery. It's just a big skin on a tarp. Uh, it reminds me oh, of that. It reminded me of Brazil. You remember the kind of a famous scene in Brazil where the woman's standing there and she's getting her skin stretched. Like, no. <laughs> uh, okay. Maybe you never saw. That. No, I don't think I did. Okay. But this, yeah, no, I don't have any history with it. I hadn't seen it, and. <laughs> It's so weird. Like, everything about it is weird. Y- you mentioned the author. The story... So, yeah, like you said, the producer's wife s- set out these interns to find scripts, and this was the best one that they could find. And I could see how that could be, because it seems like a really ambitious script. Hmm. And I think that if you put this script or, you know, a version of it in the hands of, like, a Christopher Nolan who had a huge budget and oh, and yeah. could do all kinds of, like, twisty interstellar uh, effects. Or I think that it could still work because it... Rem- uh, I don't know. It's a unique story. Um, it reminded me of a lot of different movies. The fact that the Bills are in it is just kind of bizarre, especially now that you've told me that they had both been working for a while. I think maybe they hadn't had their huge breaks yet, but they were fairly established. It almost just seems weird that they would take on such a low-budget film. And, well, and even just watching it, You're like, what are you doing here? That's not to say that I don't like the movie. I actually think it's really interesting. It's not to say that I don't think that they are well cast or that they shouldn't be there. It's just odd to see these actors who would become such prominent forces in Hollywood in just a couple of years to see them here. To be fair, Bill Paxton also kind of came up through Roger Corman's studio, like so many famous actors did. And so, I mean, by then, by now he's graduated, right? But I think that a lot of these guys will will come back and and surely feel an obligation to, you know, oh yeah, I'll I'll go back and star because it's a ton of fun and I might not make a lot of money, but, you know, I'm making a movie and maybe I'll meet some interesting people. Sure. I think Bill Paxton was... I think his first job in Hollywood, I could be wrong about this, but one of his first jobs in Hollywood was working alongside James Cameron on one of his first jobs in Hollywood, working the um, set design for Battle Beyond the Stars for Corman. And yeah, so, I think we've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I, and I, I, th- I read something, and I think it was recently I read, where somebody was talking about the effects on a movie. I can't remember which movie it was, but it was a Corman movie. And somebody had said, why are you this nice, well-established effects artist who's worked on big-budget movies coming back and working on this lame, low-budget Corman film. And he was like, well, 
Number one, it's a paycheck. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) It's three weeks of solid work for me. And this is Corman, and I'm going to get to meet all these other up-and-coming people. He saw it as a networking opportunity, you know, Uh, because Corman had that reputation. He recognized talent. He gave them opportunities, and, you know, they had all meshed together, and, and many of them would go on to greatness, and so... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can see why Bill Paxton might come back to this. Yeah, for well, for... and and who knows? You know, maybe just because it sounded fun. I, I who knows? It's just from a pop culture <laughs> standpoint, it's just kind of odd to see these guys yeah. who would both become pretty big stars in this little movie. But uh, like I said, I do think it's an ambitious movie. It's got an interesting story. It's weird. It is trippy. It is a trippy yeah. movie. I how do you want to? <laughs> I don't know because. I was thinking about this too. You know, we we we've said this at, at the beginning of many podcasts. We're like, we're really not sure how we're going to talk about it, right? Because it doesn't really follow this linear framework that's easy to kind of lay out the plot. I, I took a lot of notes on this movie, and I think most of my notes were plot because I wanted to be able to remember it because I knew I wouldn't be able to <laughs> because because it's kind of abstract and speculative and yeah, Lynchian in a way. It's absolutely. It's definitely Lynchian. I'm going to put it right out in front. I think when I was younger and fresh-eyed and, you know, the world was super interesting, I was into, like, esoteric things and challenging myself. This is the kind of movie that I really would have liked, right? I probably would have sat up late at night afterwards with my friends trying to decode it and parse it and figure out, well, what were they trying to say? What what did it mean? Like, what's the... Was this real or was that real? Or was this just a dream or... But it's not at the level of sophistication that, for example, something like uh, you mentioned Christopher Nolan, like Inception. Right. Where you kind of feel compelled to debate about it because you feel like you might decode something. I feel like this movie is the kind of movie, and maybe it's just because I'm 45, <laughs> I have like a little less patience for because I don't really give a rat's ass. You know, I'm like, okay, it's this ambiguous thing. And is this a dream or is it not? I don't really care. Can you tell me, please? Oh, you can't? All right, I'm done. (laughs) You know, like, I don't think I have the patience to try to parse this plot out to figure out what was reality and what wasn't. I'm not even sure there is an answer. Well, that's probably why you took so many notes is because so much is going on that you watching it the first time you don't know what of this do i need to be paying attention to what of this is going to be significant later on and ultimately not much because the the answer is pretty simple but is it though still i yeah i think so maybe you figured it out i i don't know i don't know I, i'm a little i'm second guessing myself so all right well i i think that the plot's really simple uh so bill pullman is dr martin he does research on brains he's got um a whole lab full of brains in glass jars literally <laughs> yeah and his assistant he and his assistant are doing these tests on this brain where they're like prodding it <laughs> with something and they've got that like stretched out face you know that is like reacting like they're mapping the Attached brain for facial movements or whatever <laughs> by the way this itself should be a movie this is so remarkable that it is so just brushed over like oh this is just another one of his contraptions in his lap like no this is kind of amazing like you have a face that, that is hooked up to a brain in a jar that is reacting to you probing it. That yeah, and and what I'll say for this scene is that it it sets it 
up well because it's like oh okay we're we're into like some mad scientist reanimator maybe yeah. lovecraftian type of thing this is this is what we're doing and ultimately it is kind of that but that image is just left behind like oh that <laughs> like, that was a thing we never see yeah it right it never really anything like it again i mean we do see more brain poking later so i guess okay keep going get to the well, more brain poking it has to be said like you kind of glazed over it too but like this guy has shelves of literal brains in jars in this i mean it is classic mad scientist and his assistant is almost as classic igor I, yeah i mean in the first five minutes of the movie he's asked to retrieve a brain he climbs up on a ladder tries to get a brain from a jar immediately fumbles one and it falls down and breaks i mean that's like straight out of frankenstein <laughs> well he, right and there's also a bunch of dialogue like dr martin is like chastising his assistant for not giving proper reverence to each of these brains because each of them was an individual person a living entity and each you know deserves its respect and like martin like talks to them <laughs> as though they can hear him yeah which is weird but beyond that he doesn't really seem crazy maybe a little eccentric no. sure but you know just a scientist whatever and then it cuts to an exterior shot of the building and it looked to me just almost exactly like one of the dreams from dreamscape when yes. uh, the main character finds himself on top of a tall building and i just i noticed it in that moment but then continuing to watch through it it reminded me stylistically a lot of dreamscape because much of it seems very dream like yeah in the way that it's shot in the way that it's lit with kind of ethereal music in the background and stuff sometimes it's it's i don't know it reminded me quite well, a bit of that movie actually let me say that in retrospect, looking back at this opening of it, and like you said, that and the scene with him and the face and the brains and all that stuff, if I'm going to give this movie a lot of credit, I almost feel like I'm not even sure if this is real. I'm wondering if they're setting us up right now in a dreamscape. Right. And it could be. Because it's so campy and unrealistic that it's either just this super campy, low-budget movie that's asking a lot of us to swallow or it's deliberately trying to clue us in that this is not real. This is kind of dream. Well, it's either deliberately trying to clue us into that or it's deliberately trying to mislead us into thinking that. And you don't really know. I mean, ultimately ever, I guess. I do think that there is an explanation, but I could be mm. wrong. But anyway, whatever. Uh, oh, his friend comes. Well, yeah, his friend comes. But just before that, he's like standing gazing out the window and uh, his receptionist or his secretary or says something says, are you okay, Dr. Martin? And he says, nothing a little brain surgery wouldn't take care of. And mm. I did, did not catch that line at all the first time around. I watched the I rewatched the first half hour this morning to refresh my memory. Um, and that I was like, I didn't notice that the first time. Oh, interesting. Right. <laughs> so then his friend comes. Um, the other Bill, Paxton. His name is Reston, and Jim Reston, and they are uh, high school friends or college friends or something. They went to school together. They were rivals over a girl who ended up marrying Bill Pullman. But they're also friends, and Reston... <laughs> I don't know. There's... 
I, I wrote down these weird lines. Like There, but by the grace of God, go I. I was just thinking that about you, showboat. The universe is just a wet dream. By the perception of illusion, we experience reality. The inscrutable Professor Ang. Ah, see, the liberal arts course pays off after all. And then they just carry on a conversation as though that would be a normal... Like, they don't continue <laughs> right. talking about that. They just care, continue on in conversation as though what they just said was a totally normal thing to say. So we Yeah. Are. I feel <sighs> like it was like... I feel like this was a fault of the script. It felt a little pseudo-intellectual, you know? Like, like they're parlaying with each other on technical yeah. terms and things that they both already understand. But it comes across as a little silly and written, I think. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it totally does. Yeah. And it just, it was, to me, it just left me like scratching my head like, what? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Where did that come from? And and, and then, of course, you know, watching, knowing this is a movie, I'm like, I guess I better write that down. Like, is that going to be, is that going to be, are there going to be, be like more wet dream references? I... Oh, gosh. Okay. So Reston tells Martin about this guy. Reston works for this uh, company, this corporation called Eunice. Um, and he says they have this employee called named Halsey. And uh, he was, I don't know, a scientist or something. And It's really unclear, I think. Yeah. He was working on this really important project, and he came up with this really, really important equation. And he... Uh, Reston just keeps saying, I need those numbers. I need those numbers. But then this guy, Halsey, apparently went nuts and killed his whole family and now is catatonic and, and or, or crazy. Like, he's just insane and he's in a loony bin. And Reston wants Martin to go... I guess Martin's specialty is paranoia. Like, that's... He's yeah. figuring out how paranoia works in the brain or whatever. So he asks... Reston asks him to go talk to this Halsey and Martin is reluctant at first but ultimately he goes and there's this wackadoodle scene in the loony bin I guess mm -hmm. where he walks in and a woman is like <laughs> doing a ballet and singing oh. like look at me I'm oh. dancing I'm dancing look at me <laughs> like, it's so like uh, what is happening We've talked about this before, how these movies show sanitariums as just these like, just like a Willy Wonka type places of crazy people just wandering around doing nutso things out in the open. Uh, it's a little silly. But, a, but, but, but again here, it's so surreal yeah. that you wonder, is this even real? Like, is it, as we've seen a bazillion times, a stupid portrayal of what an insane asylum looks like? Or is it intentionally heightened? Because yeah. it's not real. Right. I, and and the music, uh, this part I have written down that the style and the music reminded me a lot of Tales from the Crypt. Because this whole transaction, it seems like, between Ralston, or whatever his name is, and, and Martin, and trying to find the numbers and there being these high stakes, it felt very much like a Tales from the Crypt 
plot oh, and stylistically like right to the meat of it and it's kind of uh, all right and, and... right and you know there's i anticipate there's going to be some twist you know this this innocent uh dr martin is getting sent into this project he doesn't really know what he's getting into and uh it's it's going to be weird well, and ultimately it is i guess the movie calls our attention to some odd things, too. Um, I don't remember if it's now or if it's a little later where he's walking in and there's a bum who approaches him. And this That's guy is like, later. Oh, is it? Okay. It's, it's after he talks to uh, Halsey because he talks to Halsey and Halsey's like, oh, yeah, uh, there's this Conklin is out to get me and uh, he's here in the hospital and he's trying to kill me and he he screwed my wife uh right there on the factory floor and um he's obviously crazy and paranoid but i don't know well well, you don't really know what's going on um rest in one so he goes to okay so i say he goes to lakeside to see him and then he does do some tests on him and he does find the paranormal or paranoia abnormality in his brain and Reston basically says, well, can you cut that out? And, uh, Martin says, well, maybe I can, and it might work. He might get all of his memories back. He might get those numbers back. And Reston says, well, what's the other alternative? And he says, well, he may lose everything, but ultimately that that's good for the corporation. They're fine with either. Yeah. Right, they're fine with either because if if they can't get the numbers back, at least there's no risk of somebody else getting a hold of him. And then I feel like this is the point where he walks out and he's carrying a brain in a jar and you're right, this homeless guy accosts him. It's like, "That's my fucking brain." No. Yes. That's my fucking brain. No. That's my brain, sir. There must be some mistake. There's no mistake. That's this my brain. My brain. That's my brain. No, my brain. No, you have it's your my own fucking brain. brain. This is mine. It's my fucking brain. Please, sir. Brain. I'm afraid that it is not yours. And the brain, <laughs> I don't know how this happens, but Dr. Martin ends up getting thrown in front of a truck. He gets hit by the truck. His head gets smashed on the windshield. You see blood, and you see the the brain jar shatter and the brain smash in the street. And then Martin just, like, he's just, like, back at his office, right? Yeah, the Conklin Company is some logo on the side of this car. Yes, yes, and that's the guy that Halsey had said was trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. And you're right. And now uh, Martin is suddenly walking down the hallway to his lab. and Like nothing get- happened. And, and yeah. it's it's weird. It's like the mo- you feel like you missed something. Like like there's a something missing scene cut. or something. <laughs> right. because, yeah, like because he's he, he's fine. There there's just no explanation. It's it's weird. Yeah, but but when he gets to his lab, there's this new guy, Ellis, who's taken over it. And I mean, it's obvious. He's like, sorry to hear about your grant. Like, he's lost his grant, and now he's taking over, and he's talking about how uh, his grant's been doubled, meanwhile, and he needs to clear the shelf space, so he's going to get rid of all the brains. It's it's kind of overacted evil guy stuff. It's very heightened, and the assistant ends up pulling down all the shelves. It's It's like an accident or something, but all the shelves come down, and all the brains and things shatter. And then, suddenly, Martin wakes up. On his couch at home, and... <laughs> Now, at the, from this point forward, we're going to keep saying, and then suddenly, because that's <laughs> right, because that's what it feels like. Like you have a scene, and then it just jumps to another scene. Yeah. At one point, you see a whole scene, and then 
it jumps back and you see it again. And like, mm-hmm. I couldn't, it's so surreal the way that, it, and I had no idea what was going on. He wakes up on his couch. His wife is like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, sorry. I, I, I'm just a little bit out of it from the accident earlier. And she's like, what accident? And he said, well, I, I had an accident, I think. And then they just don't talk about it. Yeah. Anymore. And then he goes back, he goes back to the corporation that has Halsey and he does (laughs) the lobotomy and this lobotomy is so stupid. Like it's really dumb. (laughs) It's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's in a white surgical theater behind a two way mirror. Uh, so that this board of people in a conference can, room in a conference room can watch this happening, and like the lobotomy itself is, he has taken the whole top part of Halsey's skull <laughs> off, so his brain is just sitting there like it's in a fruit bowl, <laughs> and he just walks in, doesn't wash up, doesn't do anything, no. just walks in, puts a coat on, and goes to work, <laughs> and just well, and just pokes at it, like that's yeah. that's all. He just pokes at it, um, yeah. and like Halsey's face like twitches and he smiles and sometimes he laughs like depending on where he's getting poked and it depending on where he gets poked we see from Halsey's perspective that his environment changes and the mm-hmm. people around change like the things that the doctor and the people like the corporate people are saying to him and asking him he's hearing all that but it might be coming through somebody else in his mind like for example like he sees Victorian ladies Two Victorian ladies or his family that he supposedly killed or that he says somebody else killed. It's very surreal and trippy. And like ultimately when I was watching it the first time, I didn't think much of it. And then thinking more about it, I thought, I don't know, that's kind of cool and ambitious, especially since it seems like at one point Dr. Martin asks him, are you still concerned about this Conklin guy? And he's like, yeah. And he says, is is Conklin here? Yeah. Can you see him? No. And then ultimately he says, I can see him now. And it's this really creepy image of this guy in all white in this stark white room. But like he and the corner he's standing in are spat, splashed and, and smeared with bright red blood. And he's very creepy and like menacing, uh, hiding kind of in broad daylight yeah. in the corner. And and after the procedure is over, Martin can see him too, which I feel like opens up a whole new can of worms. Yes. But I also wanted to mention that um, this this corporate group who's sitting around this conference table, the president apparently of this board <laughs> is George Kennedy. I know. <laughs> you had said earlier, can you believe that Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman are in this movie? Well. I can absolutely believe that George Kennedy is in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Movie because he, he seems to be in any movie he can get into. Yeah. Right. You know, for uh, <laughs> before we started doing this podcast, he was just that guy from the Naked Gun movies to me. Uh-huh. Um, and now that we've done this, we have seen him in so many movies. He just pops <laughs> up all the time. I also wanted to point out that another one of the board members, this little guy, is played, he's not given a name, he does have a line, um, is Willie Garson. He's a character actor, he's been like all over TV and movies, he's been a bazillion things. Probably best well known for his role as Carrie Bradshaw's best friend, Stanford 
Blatch on Sex and the City. And uh, he just passed away, I think, within the last year or two. Uh, he was young, not not much older than us, and he died of cancer, which uh, went right when they were beginning production of the Sex and the City sequel uh, series and oh. just like that. Um, he was he was written into the script. He was supposed to be a major part of the script and he got sick and passed away and they had to write him out. But <clears throat> I wanted to make mention of him because I'm a big fan of his and it never would have occurred to me when he passed away to do a tribute episode to him because I, I, I know him as a comedian. But here he is, cool guy, got one line in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and here's our tribute episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Willie Garson, cool dude. All right, so now <laughs> Dr. Martin can see Conklin and thinks Conklin is following him. And at this yeah. point, I don't know what's going on, and it only gets crazy. Like, yeah. from this point, really, Ugh. literally, I have no idea what's going on. The only thing is, at some point earlier... When Martin was talking to, I can never think of this guy's name, Reston. When Martin is talking to Reston, he's like, well, you want him brain dead? And Martin, or Reston says something like, well, it could be worse. He could be the doctor and you could be the patient. Mm-hmm. I did take note of that in that moment, yeah. I did too. Yeah. It's, it seemed a little... <laughs> yeah. A little on the nose, like, well... Hmm. And like you said, like everything that's happening right now is so bizarre and so out of reality that you're thinking either this movie is really that stupid, you know, that it's got this guy, presumably a doctor, walking in and out of this purely white room that opens up into a boardroom with this guy's skull completely exposed with no yeah. procedures, you know, to for, for medical or whatever. Or this is just supposed to be giving us an unreal kind of dreamlike reality. And and then when he's like, I mean, it's almost dreams within dreams because there's more than once when he wakes up and suddenly, you know, it seems like he's dreaming something. This has already, I think, by now happened twice. Yeah. And then, like you said, when he starts seeing this guy laughing and chuckling in the corner, at this point I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those movies, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I was like, am I going to have to think? Am I going to have to think really hard? Right. Okay. So furious notes. <laughs> no, I I told you that this movie reminds me of a lot of other movies, and at this point in the movie, it's reminding me of that Michael Douglas movie, The Game, that Michael Douglas yeah. Sean Penn movie, um, where you don't know what's real or if it's real. I haven't. I saw that movie when it came out in the theater. I don't even really remember it. Me too, and I love it. Oh, I've seen it like ten times since then. I've showed it to everyone I know. Uh, and a movie that I've never even seen, but I know enough about <laughs> Jacob's Ladder. Oh yeah, me too. I also We're... haven't seen it. That's crazy. Oh, we should do that. That's weird. That's a yeah classic movie. It's reminding me of all of these movies, and and all of these movies are either movies that I consider to be good movies, or at least movies that I really like. Um, yeah. Like I wouldn't say that Dreamscape is a great movie, but I love that movie, yeah. and so. It's difficult for me to say. I, I think that I agree with you. I think that I would have liked this better when I was a kid. I think that as a kid, I would have thought it was really smart. Mm -hmm. And and watching it now, I, I almost wish that I still had that 
more <laughs> innocent openness to it because you're right. I think I'm just more cynical and I'm kind of rolling my eyes like, ugh, yeah. okay, whatever. Oh <laughs> yeah. You're trying to be smart. You're trying to create this kind of crazy. Okay, I get I don't, it. <laughs> I don't trust necessarily that I'm gonna. This is gonna lead to anything profound, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? And it doesn't really, but that's okay. Like it's just a stupid movie. But so then um, Martin goes to dinner with his wife, and he's acting like a lunatic. Like he's twitchy and paranoid, and well, he's drinking a lot, right? There's is kind he? Of a... I don't even remember. But Bill Pullman, I feel like <laughs> since. Um, since Independence Day, he did more dramatic roles. Before that, he did comedy. And he's a funny guy. And he's a funny comedic actor. And I saw some of that coming through here. Like the twitchy paranoid thing going on. I thought it was hilarious, really. Yeah. But he's he's acting loopy. And um, his boss uh, and his friend, Reston, show up and are sitting there and having dinner with them. But, like, he gets up to go to the bathroom or something and he comes back and he sits down at the wrong table and is yeah. talking to strangers, like, nonsensically. And he's just, like, repeating the new you from Eunice. The, <laughs> what yeah. is going on? Yeah. And he's seeing, he's also seeing this bloody dude everywhere. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And then again, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> he's he's at his own front door, and he opens it up and goes inside. And that bloody dude, Conklin uh, or whatever, is with him and like shows him Reston banging his wife on their dining room table. Yeah, and they're banging for a minute, but then. They're like naked in an embrace, dead with their eyes gouged out. Yeah. And then suddenly (laughs) Martin wakes up in Lakeside Lakeside, and he's the patient and Conklin is the doctor. And Mm -hmm. Martin starts talking about Halsey and Conklin's like, there's no Halsey. You're Halsey. Yep. And then this, like, this whole sequence of events is just walking from one surreal environment into the next. Now, it's 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 all in the context of the hospital, kind of, um, but it really is just kind of a series of strange events for the next 10 or 15 minutes. The doctor comes in and says that he's fragmenting into a patient called Halsey, but in fact, he's Halsey, and he reveals the pencils on those desks and stuff up on the wall, which is stuff that earlier he had seen Halsey do. Like, he took these little stubby pencils and had set them up. And then he's led into what he thinks is his office. It's it's the doctor's office, but previously this looked like his office. And the doctor's like, well, go look out the window. He says, well, my office is in the Beaumont building, eighth floor. And the doctor's like, all right, go, go look out the window, you know, Rex. And he looks out the window, but it's clearly not the eighth floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the accountant comes in, Jim who is actually... Reston. Reston. Paxton, yes. Yeah, but he's just like a me- like a little accountant. He's like a tiny little guy, and he's like, oh, Mr. Conklin is behind on his payments. You're his prize account. I don't see how the mattress business survives without you. What did that mean? Uh, I don't know. Mr. Conklin was funding he, his... He is saying... what? Again, he's got a different name because he's a different character now, but uh, Paxton is telling Martin that Paxton is the accountant for Eunice. But I think what mm-hmm. he says to Martin is, 
you, Martin, or Halsey, or whoever he's supposed to be now, you were this Conklin's accountant? I don't know. Accountant? And, and, or account? Yeah. I don't know. I think accountant, but I don't oh, know. Oh, accountant. Maybe I misheard that. And Conklin, oh. like, owns this mattress uh, uh-huh. factory or something, which... The other Halsey had mentioned before. See, it's just so convoluted. Like, and yeah. ultimately, no, I don't think any of this matters. Yeah, I think you're right. There's another scene where Martin gets in a room with a bunch of crazy ladies who like pull him into a closet. I don't know what's going on. And then he's in a room filled with people who are chained up and in cages. But when somebody else comes to the other side of the door and opens it, then all the people are gone. Yeah, and the doctor is behind him. He says, oh, I see you entered my little museum. Antique neurological devices are my hobby. And yeah. of course, there are no people there. And then the doctor suggests shock therapy. Yeah. You know, he gets very sinister. And I don't know, you know, God. So then he's like kind of shocking him with this ancient, you know, shock therapy equipment. And then he wakes up again. And then he wakes up again in a bed in the loony bin. And the guy who we've known as Halsey before, the little bald guy, who's played by the guy who played Harold and Harold and Maud. Oh, yeah. He, he, like, talks to him, and he's like, I'm going to get you out of here. And he cuts his restraints. He's like, wait, somebody's coming. And he goes and hides in the closet. And then when whoever that was passed, Martin gets up and looks in the closet, and Halsey's dead in there. And then he wakes up in his bed again, and the same scene happens again. Mm-hmm. He and Halsey have the same conversation. He cuts his restraints again i think i don't know but then this time it's like he's a ghost in his own room now where he's staring at himself on the bed and he pulls up his own chart right and And at this point you again like uh the others like who's really dead who's really you know and at this point i'm with you in the just just tell me (laughs) (laughs) i get it Yeah. Right, like, uh, so his wife shows up and visit, and it seems at this point like he's in the hospital because of his car accident, and he's laying there in bed, I think pretending to be unconscious, and uh, his friend, Reston, shows up and is kind of smarmy with his wife, and then he gets up and walks into his closet, which just opens up into open sky. Yeah. And he's hanging by the floor, like, shouting to them. And I guess they're still looking at his body in bed. And he's like, help me, I'm not dead yet. But he falls. And then they're in the, o- <laughs> in the ocean. They're in the ocean. <laughs> and Halsey is in there. Or the guy we know is Halsey. Halsey's just, like, like, waiting, like, having a <laughs> lovely time. But then the sea monsters of the id arrive. What? Like, get I know. the fuck out. I like, was like, oh, I don't want to have to understand this, please. <laughs> Don't get all metaphorical on me now. This is hard enough to figure out as it is. Yeah, I refuse to start thinking about the id and the ego. Like, I'm not, we're not doing that. Um, And luckily, they don't really make us because then he wakes up in the street, all dirty like a homeless person, but he goes back to his office. Yeah, the water that was being splashed onto his face as he was on the beach is now being splashed onto his face by some guy by a restaurant who's just trying to get him out. Right. And away. And he goes back into his office, but now it says Dr. John Halsey on the office door. But he sees the view outside, and he's comforted by the fact that now we're way up high. But it's but it's not his, you know, it's not Rex Martin. It says Dr. John Halsey. So I guess, I don't know, man. I'm like, so he's Halsey, and, right? And Rest, we're, we're almost there. Reston shows up and tells him, don't worry, it's just all just bad dreams. And then... 
the scary guy who has been Mr. Conklin all along shows up and he's apparently now Eunice security. And he says, we really do need that equation. And then all of a sudden Martin is in that surgery theater from before the white surgery theater. And Mm -hmm. the scary Conklin guy is performing a ludicrous lobotomy on him. And Reston is in the corporate side of the theater pleading for the equation. And Conklin starts prodding at Martin's brain and then, <laughs> all of a sudden, Martin is behind the wheel of the truck that hit him. Yeah. And then, <laughs> he Keep wakes going. up in brain surgery, a totally different brain surgery. And he, now he is a patient, and Halsey is the doctor performing brain surgery on him. And, and his they're wife. Calling him Martin. Yeah, they're calling him Martin again. And now it seems like now I'm kind of getting back on board. Now I'm like, okay, he's in brain surgery because he got hit by the car. Way back when, yeah. Way back when. So, okay, and so the wife and uh, Reston are, you know, this is a different surgical theater, but they're again on the opposite side of the mirror, and they're like, oh, I hope he pulls through or whatever. And then it cuts away, and you see him, and it seems like he's recovering, except for that he's, the wrapping on the top of his head is huge like it's enormous (laughs) comically enormous and he goes into a room where he stands in front of a mirror and he pulls off the top of his skull and butterflies fly out (laughs) yes (laughs) and then it cuts back to him in surgery where he dies yeah and then, then i don't remember if this is just over black or if it's just in his office or what but you just hear his voice saying where am i am i dreaming or is this death i'm dead great (laughs) i'm dead i think i think This should be interesting. And now he's just a brain in a jar. The end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so dumb. On that shelf. Oh, it's it's really, really dumb. Mark's I didn't realize how dumb it. it was until I tried to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but so my theory is, my theory right. is, everything that happened before he got hit by the car really happened. Okay. And then once he got hit by the car, none of that was real. It was all just crazy shit going on in his head until we see him again in brain surgery. And when we see him in brain surgery and his wife and his friend are there watching, I think that that is real and that Uh he dies in surgery. And then apparently he's a sentient brain in a jar. I was going to ask. In a lab. You you think that this is trying to posit that all brains are sentient when they're. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. Okay. See, because that that ties it right back around to the end where he was talking, you know, he was admonishing his assistant for not having reverence and respect for these brains because, you know, they are they were an, a living mm. thing, they were an entity, they were a person. It's as though he believes the essence of a person is still there in their brain even when they're dead or whatever as long as the brain is still there. Um and ultimately, the movie proves him right okay but i love but 
in being proved right, he's like, am I dreaming or is this death? I'm dead. Great. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny, right? It's just comical the way it's ended. I, you know, your explanation is pretty much what I thought it was going to be. I was really hoping you would have something more sophisticated for me to share. No. But I'm not surprised you don't because, uh, yeah, and this is why a movie like this would have been great as like a Twilight Zone episode or Uh Tales from the Crypt episode. This long-ass movie where I feel like the good majority of it was just a bunch of random stuff that was happening in somebody's brain that's ultimately meaningless and is just there to confuse me. I just ultimately like, oh, God, why did I see this? You know, like, I I lost patience for it, like we said earlier. I lost patience for it about 20 minutes in. I didn't really regain patience for it. There were some intriguing moments, and you pointed them out, you know, where I'm like, oh, I think I know what's going on. And then kind of by the end, it's like, okay, yeah, so that's what's going on. It's all more or less a dream. It's all going on in his head while he's in surgery, and now he's dead. It's It was intriguing. It was a well-made movie, honestly, for the uh, budget. For the budget, yeah. You know, it's, again, I, I feel like it, it's the movie version of a pseudo-intellectual. You know, it's trying to be really clever and really smart and whatnot, but when you, when it finally wraps up, unless I'm missing something, it's not as clever as it Danes to be. It's just a bunch of Lynchian kind of stuff thrown at me to confuse me and keep me intrigued until the Well, end. see, but that's... Okay, would you say the same thing of something... Like, if it were of better quality, if it had had a bigger budget... Like, I, I'm wondering, do you feel the same way about, like, Lynch Lynchian stuff? Like, Mulholland Drive? Like, I have no idea what the hell is going on in that movie. I've seen it, and I have I couldn't tell you. I have no idea what was going on in that movie. Yeah. Um, I, but I still thought thought it was a good movie. I mean, the same thing, what was the other one you said? Uh, not Interstellar, but Christopher Nolan's other one. Inception. Inception. Like, it's that. that's the same kind of thing, right? No, like, where you ultimately don't really know what was real and what wasn't. But, but but that's just sort of the mystery at the end that can keep you guessing. But the movie itself followed a clearly an easy to follow plot that had its own internal logic that made sense and was it was a little twisty. But ultimately, like you know, there's it's in a way it was kind of like a heist movie. I'm thinking a lot about what was that movie we saw? It was another tribute episode that we did. Ultimately, it's a mental patient, and most of the movie that we see is happening in his head, and it's characters at a motel. Oh, Identity. Identity. Right, Identity. I think of it a little bit like Identity in that that's sort of the end result, is that most of the movie's taking place in his head. But in Identity, there was sort of a puzzle to unpack. Yeah, yeah. We were actually clued into this is happening all in his head, but the movie was still intriguing because there was something there, like there was still a mystery that we still had to solve that that had logic and had sense, and and, uh, that was very satisfying, you know? This movie is just like feels like the middle of it's confusing to be confusing, and ultimately at yeah. the end, it's you know it's that twist. Ah, guess what? It's all in his head. And no, I don't think it's as good as those films. I don't think it's sophisticated as those movies, and I didn't think it was as fulfilling as watching those movies either. And yeah, I would I wouldn't have said that about I wouldn't have said the same thing about a movie that that I think just cared a little bit more about me as a viewer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think your criticism is fair. I'm really just playing devil's advocate oh no for sure because i i I think that uh i i think it's an interesting idea and i've i say this all the time it's like a broken record it's different and i appreciate even if in saying it's different all i mean is it's odd and weird 
Um, I like coming across odd and weird things. You know, yeah. we, as, in horror, in any genre, really, but in horror specifically, you see a lot of cut and paste films that, you know, you, you, you've seen one, you've seen them all. And this one, it was different. And it was trying. It was trying to do something ambitious, I think. I think so, too. And having um, not seen it before, and it's starring these two men who are very familiar to me, very much in you know, the pop culture zeitgeist that is my life. It was just an, an interesting oddity to stumble across literally accidentally. Um, <laughs> so so I don't regret having seen it. I don't feel like it was a waste of time. And I think a lot of our fans, those who uh, are like me, interested in consuming as much as possible, it's not a great movie. I don't even know if I would go so far as to say it's a good movie, but I found it interesting. It's a ride. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's I think it's worth seeing. It's not gonna blow your mind. It's not gonna change your world. Um but worth seeing in my opinion. Yeah. I, I mean I think I concur. I think the difference between this movie and movies like it that are just a little better is that at the end of the movie we're not still challenged, right? We're not like try, still trying to decode it. There's not like no. this element of mystery. I, I feel like it's supposed to be that kind of movie, but ultimately I sort of feel like we figured it out. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. You know, so, yeah. But yeah, no, definitely worth seeing, especially if you want to see these guys um, mm-hmm. in, at their, in their game, you know? I mean, Bill Paxton is so Bill Paxton in this movie. Yeah, and it's so, definitely. It's so it's so interesting to see the greasy kind of slick Bill Paxton who's uh-huh. being sort of seductive and also like the asshole and then suddenly pops in as a freaking accountant who's just this like everyday dude mild mannered yeah it's such a stark change you know um it really speaks to his range as an actor I think you know he's just yes he's just so great to watch and I love yep. Bill Pullman too I love watching him I do too and George Kennedy is always George Kennedy so you can't go wrong there <laughs> And Rip Willie Garson. There you go. (laughs) R.I.P. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with with a friend. If you think we have totally misjudged this movie and there is something that we're missing, please let us know. Find us online in any one of the places we are. All you have to do is Google Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast. You'll find our Instagram account, our Facebook page, our website. Just leave us a message or tweet us anything and let us know uh, where we've missed up. I would love to hear that we messed up uh, and there's something deeper here that we missed. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast and, and the other ones that we've done, please consider joining our patrons. We put out mini-sodes every month. We have lots of little fun little things that we that we do for our patrons behind the scenes. They also get to choose our requests, and we are going to be doing a couple requests from our patrons in the following week, so look forward to that as well. Our patron page is patreon.com slash chainsaw podcast. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Ah.